Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Currently, we're in a study on the book of Ephesians called Rags to Riches as we work our way through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. If you're looking for a church home and you live in Northwest Arkansas, let me invite you to come and worship with us. We worship on Sundays at 1030 in the morning at 1410 North Porter Road. We would love to have you. Again, that's 1410 North Porter Road. If you need more information, check us out online at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. Today's message from Pastor Kirk is entitled, The Meaning and Mystery of Marriage, and is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22-33. through 33. Let's listen together. No other human relationship has the potential of so much joy and so much fulfillment and at the same time so much pain and sorrow as does the institution of marriage. Because of the meaning and the mystery and the message of marriage, because of the potential of marriage, Satan has made it one of his primary targets for harassment and destruction in our culture today. As a result of his attack, almost one out of every two marriages end in divorce. Because of that, cohabitation, living together rather than honoring marriage with a public commitment to each other, cohabitation has become for many the norm. Same-sex relationships are common, and all kinds of gender confusion issues are considered perfectly normal today. When all of those violate Scripture and violate who we are as men and women and God's plan for our lives. Now, we can go on all day about all the problems that an unhealthy view of husband and wife relationships have caused, but suffice it to say, we are in a mess as a culture, as a people, as a society, and we are desperate to know what God has to say about marriage and what He has to say in this passage today in Ephesians 5. Now, before we jump right into what God has to say about these human relationships, and he talks about marriage, he talks about parents and children, he talks about employers and employees in these verses and the verses in chapter 6 to follow. But before we jump right into that and look at marriage and what husbands and wives uh, should be and should do, let's remember the context into which uh, Paul is putting all of this. In Ephesians, he talks about how we have moved from death to life in Christ. How that God has created a, a totally new humanity of which we are a part by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about how we should live as a result. <coughs> Please excuse me. 
as a result uh, of that new humanity, after being born again, how we are to live. And in chapter 5, he begins with the words, be imitators of God. Live like God would have you to live. And then in the paragraph just before the paragraph we'll read in a moment, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And he describes what it means to live wisely in the Lord, in this new humanity that we've become as his children. He says we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's possible because of the Holy Spirit who lives in your heart. And he talks about being filled with the Spirit. And he talks about singing and making melody in your heart. A heart of worship and praise because of what God has done for you. And he talks about giving thanks always and for everything, even the bad experiences of life. Why? Because sometimes it's the painful experiences of life that can teach you and me things that we could never learn by experiencing only the blessings of life. And then he ends verse 21 with these nine words. Notice the end of verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That our lives should be lived submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now folks, before we get into the, to the heart of what I want to say today, we need to understand that that phrase, those nine words, present to us God's solution for all problems of conflict between individuals. God has an answer for all kinds of relational conflict, be it between husbands and wives, parents and children, employers, employees, friends, and church members. And his conflict resolution is this, submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Folks, can I say to you that if a church family will commit to doing that one simple thing, well, not so simple thing, but that one singular thing, that virtually all conflict will be resolved. And it will not result in church problems and in church squabbles and in church fights and in church divisions. If we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. <coughs> well, that phrase presents to us two transforming truths. And again, this is in the context of what we're going to say about husbands and wives. Two things that phrase tells us. First of all, life is so constructed by God that we cannot find fulfillment without another person being involved. Now think about that for just a minute. Life is so constructed, life is so put together in such a way by God that you and I will never find fulfillment without another person being involved. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that God intends for every person to be married. But I am saying that God intends for every person to live in relationship 
with other people. Life is so put together. Our lives are so constructed by God that no matter how much you think, if you could just go live in that cabin in the woods and nobody ever bother you, which, by the way, I have for years thought that would be God's solution to all my problems. <laughs> Understand, life is so put together that you cannot, it is impossible for you to fulfill yourself and to find satisfaction without other people. God made it that way. And we are made by God in his image. And even God lives in community, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we vitally need relationships. And he embarks here to tell us in this passage, after saying that we should submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, this is how to do that as husbands and wives. This is how to do that as parents and children. This is how to do that as employers and employees. Life is made that way. Submit yourselves to one another. Why? Because God created you to live in relationship with others. Our second factor in all of that is this. You can only submit yourself when you see and understand that there is a third party present in every situation, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot live in harmony with someone else unless you realize that Jesus Christ is also in that relationship and he's the only one that can make it possible. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for whom? For Jesus Christ. So as husbands and wives submit to one another, they do so with the insight and the understanding that Jesus Christ is the only one that can make that possible. As two friends submit to one another and resolve conflict, they can only do so with the understanding that Jesus Christ has to be there. Whatever the relationship is, whenever you have any kind of conflict, the only answer is Jesus. A psychologist can't solve it for you. A counselor can't solve it for you. Somebody else with all the wisdom of the world can't do it for you. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can find peace with others and peace with God. You see, it's, otherwise it's always you versus me. And my pride won't let me back off. And always it leads to an escalation of conflict. Our stubbornness, our pride, our rationalization of our views. But when we see Jesus Christ, out of reverence for Christ, I can learn to submit to you. Out of reverence for Christ, you can learn to submit to me. And we can live in peace. And we can live in harmony. Now that's the context for what he's going to say about marriage. We need other people, and only with Jesus in the middle of it is it ever going to work. Now, with that background, I have two points to make. And the first one is this. I want you to notice with me the meaning and the ministry of marriage. The meaning and the ministry of marriage. We're talking now about husbands and wives and what God has to say 
to husbands and wives through the Apostle Paul. And we begin with probably what is the most hated verse in all of the Bible. What God has to say to wives, beginning in verse 22. Let's read the first three verses of our text. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, some of you didn't say thanks to the Lord for it. And everyone that didn't was a woman, and everyone that did was a man. That is the word of the Lord. You know, that's such a hated verse, verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands. I read about a gentleman in North Carolina a few years back that was running for public office, quite a public office. And there were those, he was showing quite a bit of momentum and was leading in the polls. And those who were against him were trying to find some way they could attack him. Well, it just so happens that that man had been at one time a pastor. And they went back and listened to some of his sermons. And lo and behold, what did they find? They found him preaching on Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands and wives. And he had preached that wives should submit to their husbands. And they played that over and over again and banged him over the head with it to the point that he was not elected to office because he, he spoke down about women even if it was the Word of God, and even though that was not what he was doing. So what does it say here? It says that wives are to submit in everything to their husbands. As to the Lord, that's the qualifier. Remember what we said about verse 21, submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, sometimes the only way in the world you can do it is in, in an aspect of being submissive to God. And not only as to the Lord, but as a comparison, as the church submits to Christ. Now, why in the world would God say to do that? Because he said in this passage that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Now, the word submit literally means to keep yourself under, to put yourself under the authority of, to adapt yourself to, to adjust yourself to the authority or will of another. Now, let's go ahead and go all the way into this and be sure that we understand why God is saying this. God is teaching here a principle that is a somewhat dirty word today. Has been for a long time, in fact. And it's the word authority. It is the word authority. That almost always conjures up very negative ideas, very negative images, very negative conclusions on our part. God is saying here that the husband 
is the one in authority over his wife in the relationship in the home. Now, the whole idea of authority brings up bad feelings because some of us right here, some of you have very bad feelings and thoughts towards authority because you have seen maybe authority misused or abused or perhaps you've even been a victim of that. But also, it brings up negative ideas because every single one of us have a problem with pride in our lives. And we don't like the idea that we have to answer to anybody, that we have to be under anybody's authority. Understand that from the very beginning of time, after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, what we have is that we have a story of rebellion against authority. It is a theme from Genesis very early in the book of Genesis all the way to the end when God, the final authority, finally puts down other false authority structures. Lucifer rebelled against God in heaven. The most beautiful of all the angels rebelled against the authority of God and tried to take his throne. That's when he was cast out and he became Satan as we know him today. We find Adam rebelling against God's authority in the Old Testament and God's order. We find mankind rebelling against God and His Word all through the Bible. God created authority structures, government, church, home, marriage, those are the primary four. But God created these authority structures. But understand, he did not do that in saying this person is better than that person. This person is closer to God than that person. He did it for order, accountability, and responsibility in the world. He did it in order for there to be peace in our world. He did it in order for our lives in all of these areas, whether it's government, church, home, marriage, for it to reflect the authority of God over our lives. And the key phrase in all of it is, as to the Lord. And so he says here, wives, submit in everything to your husbands as to the Lord. Ray Stedman, Pastor Ray Stedman, writes about this. A Christian woman asked this concerning this passage. Would this mean that my submission to my husband is a kind of gauge or measure to the degree to which I am submitted to Christ? And Ray Stedman answers to her, it is exactly that. The submission of a wife to her husband in the proper areas of his authority is precisely the gauge of her submission to Christ. In other words, she cannot be rebellious to her husband and be submissive to God at the same time. And then he goes on to say, a woman is never more free to be herself than when she is most joyfully submissive to her husband's authority. And there's a strange silence over the house of God. 
and uh, I see questions, and I see things going through your mind. I may not know your mind, but I have an idea about some of it. Well, let's go on to hear what he has to say to husbands. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. This is the harder part. What he has to say to husbands is the harder part. What he has to say to the husbands places a greater responsibility on the husband than he ever places on the wife. So wives, women, if you don't like what he said to you, understand he's given a double whammy to men here, okay? So listen to what he says beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself, uh, himself up for her. If he had just said, husbands, love your wives, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But he put a qualifier on it, just like he did women. Women, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's God's plan for the church. That's God's plan for you. That's what Jesus is doing when he dies for your sins and mine and how he lives to make intercession for us today so that we would be a church without, uh, with splendor, without spot or wrinkle, that we would be without blemish before God. In the same way, in the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of of his body. Skip down to verse 33. He sums it up. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and as their own bodies. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I asked the question, so how did Christ love the church? Do you remember? How does Christ love the church? And I gave you three ways. I could give you 10. We could probably come up with 20 or more, but I want to suggest these three primarily. He loved the church steadfastly steadfastly. What do I mean by that? I mean consistently, intentionally. His love was not in response to us doing the right things or making him happy. It was deliberate and it was purposeful. In fact, 1 John 4, 19 says that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us intentionally. He loved us purposefully. He loved us deliberately. 
He did not love us out of the fact that we did something to be lovable. Can I say this to you? You could not be lovable enough to deserve the love of God on your life. Neither could I. Nobody deserves God's love. Nobody deserves heaven. Nobody deserves God's blessing. Nobody deserves anything God has to offer. We are totally and completely undeserving in every single way. And that's why the gospel is the gospel of grace, that God loved us steadfastly, intentionally, consistently, purposefully. Why? Because he chose to do so. Not because of anything we did to deserve it. He loved the church steadfastly. He loved the church selflessly. Selflessly. He gave himself submissively away and humbly. We see him washing the disciples' feet. We read in Philippians 2 how he emptied himself, how he was willing to leave heaven and all of his glory and all of his privilege there and come to this earth and live and experience what he experienced here. He did this selflessly. Why? So that he could love and save you and me. He loved the church selflessly. He loved the church sacrificially sacrificially mark 10:45 tells us how he gave himself for us he died on the cross he was willing to do that to express his love for you and for me now listen to me this is why i say the harder part of this whole husband and wife business the onus is on the husband the pressure is on the husband. He did not say, husbands, love your wives so long as they never burn the biscuits. He did not say, love your wives so long as they submit, uh, submit themselves to you like they're supposed to. Why did it say, submitting yourselves to one another? The wife submits to the husband by recognizing his God-given place and authority in the way things are supposed to work and be answered for in a family. He submits to his wife by sacrificially and selflessly giving himself away in loving and serving her. Folks, I want to tell you, that's incredible. And in all of that, husbands love, wives respect. Have you ever wondered why it never tells the wife to love her husband? Not one time. I want to tell you why. In the same way we love him because he first loved us, if a man will love his wife in the way that this describes as Christ loved the church, steadfastly, selflessly, sacrificially. Wives are created to be responders by God. She will love in return. She is not, the pressure is not on her to be the initiator in love. That's on the husband. And if he will love his wife the way that Christ describes here in his word, wives will respond in loving devotion to their husbands as well. Well, that's the meaning 
and the ministry of marriage. You say, how's that a ministry? Listen, serving one another like that, that's the greatest ministry you have as a husband or a wife. It really is. Did you know that's a greater ministry for you as a wife or a husband than your ministry to your children? Did you know that the greatest thing, husband, you can do for your kids and grandkids is to love your wife as Christ loved the church? The greatest thing, wives, you can do to minister to your children and your grandchildren is to respect and reverence your husband as the Lord. Doing that, I'm going to tell you, that's a ministry that can be performed not only to one another, but to our kids, our grandkids, the church family. And I'm going to tell you what else. It's a ministry the world needs to see as well. Okay. Well, that's the meaning and the ministry of marriage. Notice the second thing, and that's this. The mystery and the majesty of marriage. Now, I know long about now you begin to think about lunch. You begin to kind of want to drift off just a little bit. We're going to talk now about Christ and the church. We talked about the husband and wife. Now the key is Christ and the church. And this is what you hardly ever hear preached or taught about this passage. This passage is always used as sermons for husband and wives. Guess what? You've got that. That's over with. Now we're talking about what is the underlying truth in all of this. That is the key to all of this and all that I've said. It's the mystery and the majesty of marriage, Christ and the church. While I go in reading this passage, I skipped over verse 31 and 32. Read that now with me. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. That means to cleave. It literally means to be glued to. Okay? So a man will leave his father and mother and be glued to his wife. And the two shall become one. One and the same is what it means. One and the same. Verse 30, a one and the same flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. The word is mega. This is a mega mystery. That means it is great, it is magnificent, it is of high importance, it is a weighty mystery. And I'm saying that it refers to what or to whom? Christ and the church. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Well, where did verse 31 come from? You've heard that before, have you not? That a man shall leave father and mother and be glued to his wife and they'll become one flesh. You've heard that before somewhere, right? All the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, where we find that God had created Adam and Adam, and God call, caused a, a deep sleep to fall upon him. God took out a rib and he made a woman out of it. And then he gave his plan, his instructions regarding marriage. One man, one woman. Adam 
and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, this is the only true marriage there is. And man shall leave his father and mother, he will cleave to, he will be um, connected to, he will hold fast to, he will be glued to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. Understand, that is not only the unity of marriage. Now follow me. Here's the mystery. Here is the truth that's often overlooked in this passage. Not only is he talking about marriage, he's talking about Christ and the church. One flesh. Christ and the church shall become one in the Lord. Why do I say that? Because of the last phrase of verse 32. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Folks, do you get what God is saying here? Do you get it? This isn't just God's instruction about marriage, as great as that is and as important as that is. This is not God's owner's manual for marriage. This isn't a marriage self-help passage. He gives this example of marriage and then he says, this is a mega mystery. It's profound. It's big. It's weighty. It is magnificent. It is of the highest importance. And the mystery is this. What I'm saying refers to Christ and the church. Do you remember when we said a few weeks ago that the book of Ephesians is God's owner's manual for the church? How to understand what the church is and how the church functions and how the church is supposed to live one with another? And here he says, for this reason, and he quotes from way back in the beginning, shall a man leave father and mother and he will be glued to his wife and they will literally become one flesh. And just like they are one flesh, he says, I'm speaking to you about Christ and the church. Now get the lesson here. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. They live in Asia Minor. They and a number of other cities that we read about on Paul's missionary journey, Laodicea and others. And we find that these cities were pagan cities until the gospel came to them, right? Now they had Jewish communities, but, but those Jewish communities weren't any closer to Christ than the pagan communities were because they rejected Christ. And so the gospel came to these people, and they have very little, if any, background in the story of the gospel, the story of God's Word. And these 
uh, Gentile believers, these Ephesians, which were almost all Gentiles, they had a hard time understanding how that they were on the same footing with the Jewish people, if the Jews were believers, uh, some were, and where they fit. And that's why he talked in chapter 2 that you've been made one new humanity. And so now understand, he's not just teaching about marriage, although this is very helpful and very instructive. He's still teaching about Christ and the church. He's still teaching about how to be the people of God in the world, how to live one with another. And so he uses three examples beginning in chapter 5 and verse 22, going through chapter 6, about verse 8 or 9, he is talking, gives them three examples how to understand the church better and how to relate to each other. And he uses examples that even people with a pagan background would understand. He says, let me talk to you about a husband and wife relationship. Let me talk to you about parents and children. Let me talk to you about employers and employees because you can all identify with these things and understand when these kind of relationships are right, they teach about the gospel and the church and Jesus Christ. And so all of this passage here about husbands and wives and submitting and, and loving and sacrificing and all these things, he says, this is a mega mystery. I'm not just talking to you about marriage. I'm not just talking to you about a husband and wife getting along in a temporary relationship. For understand, this life is always temporary, no matter how long you live. I'm talking to you about something eternal. I'm talking to you about Christ and the church, the bride and the bridegroom, and how you are to live as the people of God, the husband wife metaphor is to help people see the relationship of Christ and the church. Now listen to me, this really gets deep. Be sure your boots are pulled all the way up. When he talks about Adam and Eve and gives instructions about marriage way back in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 and says a man shall be glued to his wife and they'll be one flesh. Understand, if he uses that to talk about marriage and then to say it really is about Christ in the church over here in Genesis 5, understand that way back in the Garden of Eden, before anybody ever heard of a church, God is telling this first couple that you will be one for you see this is a picture of, of the church and Christ. This is the bride and the bridegroom way before the bridegroom ever came to be born in this world and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even in the Garden of Eden, God is teaching the first man and the first woman about the church and about Christ and about how, guess what, the church and Christ will be one flesh. Now listen to me right here. If you, as a member of the church, are one with Christ, guess what? You're supposed to be one with each other also, right? Because we are the church. Uh, there's a great deal of emphasis being made today about you don't have to go to church 
to be a part of the church, that you are the church, Christian, wherever you go, whatever you do. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. But understand this. Understand this. There is no church without the assembled church. There is no church. The very word itself means the assembly of people. These identifiable group of people that make up the church. Well, we can't see the whole church around the world at any given time, but we can see expressions of it, like a tip of an iceberg above the waterline. We can see Calvary Baptist Church, or we can see Cross Church, or we can see whichever church it is that's preaching the gospel truth as a portion of something much greater. And so understand that if I am one with Christ, and if you are one with Christ, then we have to be one with each other, do we not? Do we not? We can't live in our silos. You can't live as an individual Christian, just you and God. No such thing exists in the world or in the mind of God from the beginning. Remember, we are so constructed in such a way that we are constructed for relationships, for submitting to one another because of the third person in our relationship, the Lord Jesus Christ. In a marriage, in a working relationship, in a friend relationship, understand that is what it's all about. Folks, this, who could think this up? Who could think this up? I want to suggest to you, only God. Only God. The whole idea of a man leaving father and mother and gluing himself to his wife, the two becoming one, and all of that just being a, a picture, a metaphor for Christ and the church that was taught and that was given and that was declared even in the Garden of Eden with the first man and the first woman that they weren't just going to compose a marriage. They were going to be a picture of Jesus and his church. And for this to carry over today and to be something so overlooked so forgotten that most of the time when you see Christ's church today, all you can see in many cases is just some kind of man's idea of human relationships gathered together so long as it serves me or pleases me. No, out of reverence for Christ, we devote ourselves to one another. We devote ourselves to his calling. Just remember this as I close. Every time a lost person sees a godly husband sacrificially loving his wife and a godly wife lovingly submitting herself to her husband's leadership, that lost person sees a living picture of Christ and his church. May our marriages reflect Jesus. And his plan and his glory and his wonderful gospel. And may our church reflect what it means to be the people of God in this world. And I close today with the same statement I have several times in recent weeks. What a great opportunity we have to be the people of God in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all you've done for us. For even envisioning.
for us what a marriage should be, what a church should be way back at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Father, may we learn what it means to be one in our marriages, but even more so, may we learn to be one in our church family. May we reflect the love and devotion, the sacrifice and the submission that you declared in your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.